Oh, baby, we are here for the Block Party Show with JM to win from one week season. This is going to be a recurring show every Friday on the channel, live at 2 p.m. Eastern. You guys remember this show from last year, JM and I walking through the DFS slate, going through all of the top GPP plays. Last week, we did more of an evergreen primer getting ready for the season, but this week we're diving in. We're rolling up our sleeves. We're going to attack this week two slate with JM. Can't wait. Let's go. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, coach spot bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch, go bust it. And I had 10 points with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. <laughs> hey, God. I, I just want you to know, while the intro is rolling, JM just ripped off his shirt, and I'm sitting here stunned. Is this in solidarity with my lack when of When you said to roll up our sleeves, my first thought was, <laughs> what sleeves? The uh, No, I almost said this to you before the show. It came on, you had the tank top, and I said, I'll save it for the show. I've been thinking this since last year. One of my favorite things about you is how deceptively fit you are. Like, you're you're like a fit dude. But you don't come across as a guy who's like really working out hard. Like you're pretty ripped. So I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> James Naked, what's happening? It's the block party, baby. This is what it's all about. We were that's, rolling up that's, our sleeves. I don't, that's like the nicest backhand account. You don't strike me as someone who well, would no, no, no. Uh, you care about you got, like, you got your, it's the same thing. Like you wrap in your goofy intro and all the goofy stuff. And it's like, well, this dude's really sharp, you know? Uh, the same sort of thing. The goofy guy. And then you're like, Hitting the gym, the small peak. Well, hey, I, well, people last year remember for the first like six to seven weeks of the show, you had a different kind of costume bit that you came on. You were in your suit. You had the um, the one uh, I forget which outfit that was. Right so I just thought you were gonna try to keep that going this year and, and starting with a shirtless. Uh, I mean, you know, I thought this morning I was like, man, I wonder if we're gonna lose lose money this year without me having that bit. So. <laughs> wasn't expecting to go shirtless, but you had the uh, the tank top, and then you said roll up. I do have a a pink Hello Kitty bandaid on today because oh, there we go. Yeah, because my daughter got a big old gash on her knee, and then refused to put a bandaid on, and then decided that I needed to wear it. So uh, no wow. damage to the hand, but uh, I guess I'm wearing that. In I'm taking my shirt off in solidarity. Sarah with you, and I'm wearing the bandaid in solidarity with her. Well, look, um, you know, we we do got, of course, the 20% off uh, one-week season subs with Jam to Win, but I feel like I don't even need to kind of shill or promote it. I mean, sex sells, and you guys come here for shirtless JM, and let me yeah. tell you guys, behind the OWS paywall, it is just littered. You get JM feet pics. You get all kinds of – you get the underwear shots. This is why you guys need to sign up for one-week season. <laughs> sex sells. The biggest, biggest DFS site on the industry now. Yeah, only fan season. Uh, there's a rebrand <laughs> opportunity. All right, never thought I had to be the one to get JM back on track here on a DFS show, but that is where we were at. How did your week one go? Obviously, we didn't get to do a week one specific slate breakdown last week because I was traveling, but how did uh, I saw you were flying to register your DFS lineups? You're already back in the groove. Did things break right for you in week one? Yeah, it was it was the most challenging profitable week I've ever had to put behind me. Uh, took a nap on Sunday afternoon, woke up, 
you know, late games, second half of the late games. And I was like, oh, nice. I'm in the money. I was up as much as like eight grand at one point. It was like, good, good start to the season. Nice to be profitable. Uh, and then I, I had a roster that finished second place in the chop block and a roster mm. that finished seventh place. I don't even actually remember what the other tournament was. It's some 1500 entry three max tournament that I finished seventh place in. And that roster was my main roster, except I couldn't bring myself to play Puka Nakua and the Texans defense in the game changer. So I took that roster, which I was really in love with. Uh, the Bink machine had spit it out, our new optimizer on the site, and you know, built around all my rules. It was part of my 150 rosters, and I kept coming back to that roster like, man, I love this roster. And I was like, this is what I'm going to use for the game changer, but I'm going to change it a little bit. And so uh, I finished 29th in the game changer, still a nice little payout, but it was a $97,000 difference. So it was one of those where I was like, oh, that was a good weekend, but it was it was that close, kind of fumbled a, a 100K payout. So um, yeah, kind of used Sunday night and Monday to work through my thoughts and very consciously put that behind me because you know you can have that. I had that once in MLB, a, a late change, and then had two weeks of bad play because you let it seep into your mind, whereas realistically... All I can do is put in a great week this week and those those opportunities will come again. So, uh, yeah, profitable week, kind of challenging to move on from the week. But um, I feel like by Tuesday morning, I was back in my normal groove and getting ready for week two. Yeah, I was thinking about you because I was like, I bet JM had a good week because you don't necessarily tweet a ton. But I remember two tweets from you over the court, like when best ball season was rounding down and you had a tweet about Puka Nakua. And it kind of felt like you're I remember last year you had a Khalil Shakur take as well and i was like here we go jams unearthing one of his gems again and then you had the calvin ridley tweet about how he will not be priced this cheaply uh for a long time and then i'm watching you know puka and calvin ridley go off and i'm like i bet jm had a pretty good week one it was a good uh it was a good week for jm takes for sure uh, in terms yeah. of that and uh, i said chris alave and i said chris alave will be like 7700 within a few weeks and calvin ridley would be 7500 within a few weeks uh, Calvin Ridley's already up to that, that more. I actually said 7,400, which what is he? 73, 72, 74 right now. So uh, yeah, hit, hit on that pretty quickly. And um, Alave will climb up there pretty soon as well. Had a lot of Alave, a lot of Carr, a lot of Ridley um, way overweight the field on Puka, but unfortunately not on my main build. So uh, uh -huh. yeah, put it behind and, and move on. I'm, uh, wealthier than I was last week, but significantly less wealthier than I could have been. <laughs> I don't know if you if you happen to catch uh, my incredible feat from week one. I did just play the one lineup, like I said, and I managed not to cash despite playing Brandon Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne. I, I don't know how that happens, JM, but I found a way to do it, partly because my Eagle stack didn't hit. But I, I actually felt very good from like a process standpoint. Thought my focus on on my week one lineup was in a much better place than it was last year. So I am excited to uh to build on on that process and get us going here. How was it two. doing just one roster? Was it tougher? Did you feel like it was easier? Did you? I mean, you do so much content. It that's what some people always ask me was like, you do so much work. It feels odd to just do one roster. And now that I no longer do one roster, I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, well, that's a lot of work you put in for one roster. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it will it was it'll get increasingly harder to stick to one roster because, you know, the slates and the players and what these teams are going to do, it's going to start to settle. Right. And it's going to feel more familiar and it'll be like, oh, I want to attack this, this. Whereas week one, it did feel like 
it was easy to get pulled in a million directions. So I actually found the exercise of focusing in on one thing. Um, but I just personally like the clarity of like, no, this is my favorite play. This is what I want to build around. Um, so we'll see. Uh, for now, though, I, I do plan to stick with it. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really fun to discuss here is just we have our first real data point with week one and knowing what are the things that feel like signal to you? What do the things feel like noise? And I think maybe starting with what were things that maybe like confirmed your priors on how you thought these teams were going to operate, things that you want to maybe continue hammering over the next couple of weeks until people catch up? Um uh, I'll just kind of go through some of the games in the DraftKings app on some of these teams that, that you know, yeah. what stands out to me on these names, right? Atlanta, kind of what I thought, uh, backfield split, Bijan Robinson overpriced for his typical range of touches, obviously still capable of putting up a big game from a talent-based perspective, but he's not going to be a 25 touchback like, like we would like to. He's not going to be priced up near Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, not going to get the types of touches that those guys are typically going to get. Uh, let's see Detroit. I think that we could overreact to Jameer Gibbs usage in week one. He's a guy that I really like this week from a standpoint of, does he have a wide range of outcomes? Yes. Could he put up a, a seven pointer? Yes. But does he have a lot of ceiling? Absolutely. He could come out and have a 30 point game this week and everyone will say, Oh, why did we worry so much about what happened in week one? Indianapolis kind of the offense that, we expected Anthony Richardson looked good because Shane Steichen is calling that offense and designing that offense. And Shane Steichen had Justin Herbert in his rookie year. He had Jalen Hurts in his first year starting. And what he talked about, and I talked about this last week, but Steichen said what he does is he gives these guys a, a game plan that they're very comfortable with. Some, he gives them a, a game plan full of things that they are able to do at a high level. And he'll keep adding to that plate throughout the season. So uh, that's an interesting spot is this Indianapolis Houston game. This week, we'll talk about at least one or two players from that game here in a little bit. Jacksonville, kind of what we expected, super explosive. Uh, Calvin Ridley has the alpha, but there's still going to be opportunities for Christian Kirk to have his big game. Zay Jones had his big game. In addition to um, to Calvin Ridley this last week, and obviously Travis Etienne, much bigger role than kind of the, the late season best ball bros were expecting. So that's worth taking note on. Bears still seem to be more of a fantasy team than a real life team capable of of doing things the bucks are going to be interesting to keep an eye on just because Rashad White is so inefficient but he's getting so many touches uh, Baker Mayfield looked so bad at the start of that game but then uh, kind of progressed down and this is a great week for me coming off week one because I had that you know wife and kids were still out of town till Wednesday so I had that time to actually rewatch every single game from the weekend on Monday and uh, then obviously spent about you know 40 minutes per team on press conferences as well. So have a good handle on what to watch for, what to look for. Uh, Chargers, I think total noise that they ran the ball so much. Vic Fangio very much structured the defense last week, inviting the Dolphins to, uh, inviting the Chargers to run, daring them to try to win through the air. And the Chargers took advantage of that, had a big game on the ground. This week playing a Titans team that faced, that faced the highest opponent pass play rate in the NFL last year by a wide margin faced more pass attempts per game by a wide margin than any other team last year. I would expect the Chargers to be pass heavy this week. In fact, it's one of the rare weeks that I'll have interest in Keenan Allen in tournaments. We can probably mm. get to that. Um, Giants, I think we throw out that game. Arizona, way more competitive than people expected. And I think people are going to perceive that as, oh, Washington's not very good. Arizona was really competitive. Do they have the best talent? No, but they're going to be a tough out early in the season. So that'll be an interesting game. 
I think that the Rams, obviously Seattle came out flat, didn't play a great game. But I think the Rams are a much better team than people expect. And I think that's going to show out. Obviously they're playing San Francisco this week about the toughest matchup you can have. And if you paid attention over the years, Kyle Shanahan has absolutely owned Sean McVay. So this might not be the week where they really, you know, have that second straight strong performance, but I think they will be a good team this year. Uh, Jets, you know, kind of throw out their offense with the Aaron Rodgers thing, but Jets defense as good as advertised Cowboys defense, as good as advertised. Uh, Sam Howell kind of had some pocket presence issues in week one, but also a lot of good in week one. And then the Broncos, it was not that exciting. It was a lot of, yeah. uh, the sh- you know, obviously with Judy expected to come back, we might have an alpha, but with no alpha, it was very much that Sean Payton, let's get the ball to nine, 10 different guys, spread the ball around, work the short areas of the field. Um, so does that fit best with Russell Wilson's skill set? Not really. Is this going to be an explosive offense? Maybe not that often. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing from kind of take the, the 12 team, the 12 games on the main slate, the teams playing in them and, and what stands out to me from those teams. There's my little monologue right there. Yeah. What about, you know, cause it, what are the things that people are going to be maybe slow to believe or like those edges that we want to really hammer until people catch up? And it is a, a huge bummer that Puka is injured or had the oblique. We'll have to see what the practice report is today. I don't know if there's been an update, but even just seeing how season long people were approaching him. And I was in the fantasy life discord the other day, and there was still all this skepticism about Puka. And I'm like, guys, I mean, when someone earns 15 targets as a rookie, and then uh, I was listening to Pat Crane was talking about how many first read targets Puka was earning too. I mean, like literally playing the Cooper cup role in this offense, like this is stuff I want to pay attention to. I do not want to be slow to react to it, but are, are there other things like that, that you think there's just so much signal and maybe the field is reluctant to believe it until they see more of it? Definitely the, the, the Puka one, although our early ownership projections, which, you know, Friday morning, largely algorithm driven, but they, we have them at like 17%. So if he's playing, apparently he's not going to go that overlooked. I have a hard time mm-hmm. seeing him getting much higher than that against the 49ers. I would expect that ownership projection to come down a little bit, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you don't just trip into 15 targets and first read targets. And he was open downfield. He was open in the short areas. He was able to function as an outlet and calling it the Cooper cup role is a very good way to put it. And, you know, one of the things I liked about him in the off season was there was a a one video of him mic'd up during practice. And two thirds of that video is him just standing next to Cooper cup, asking him questions Mm -hmm. about how to gain leverage on the routes, how to, run this route, what Stafford's looking for here, what to do on this blocking assignment, like all those little details of trying to be a great player. Uh, the team has talked about him being, you know, McVay has essentially said that he is the most mature, developed, NFL-ready rookie he's ever been around. And so throw off the fifth-round tag and look at what he did on the field, and that was real, and he's going to do that in other games this year. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that injury situation shakes out. We'll have more information on that today, obviously, um, probably while we're on the show. Uh, and so, yeah, that's one of the spots. Um, the Texans team, I, I you mm. know, after that game ended, Jim Harbaugh, he only said this one time last year and he was wrong. He, he was after the uh, Ravens played the Patriots early in the year. They won that game, I think 37 to 26 and Harbaugh said, you know, and there's this perception around the Patriots are not a good team. You shouldn't have a tough game against them. And he said, after that game, he said, the Patriots are going to be 
they're, well, he said they're going to be in the playoffs, but he said they're, they're going to be right there in the thick of things at the end of the year, which they were. And week in and week out, they were a, a tough opponent to play, a tough opponent to win against. Uh, after that game against the Texans, Jim Harbaugh said, mark my words, this team is going to win a lot of games. Now, in my mind, a lot is relative to expectations. I don't think the Texans right. are winning 12 games, but uh, they're a good young team. And D'Amico Ryan has been playing hard. Uh, they've got enough good pieces on offense. So spots like that, I think you'll see people really waiting to lean into a team like that. And then by the time they're leaning into it, it's a little bit too late. Um, not thinking of any other teams off the top of my head. You know, I think the stats on Green Bay, a little bit misleading because, you know, love through for three touchdown passes. But, uh, and, you know, they, they just don't want to throw the ball a ton, but he looked really good. I was really impressed with his pocket presence. He had a couple of little mistakes, but a lot of off-platform throws. It was almost like you watch him from the waist down, and it was almost like watching Aaron Rodgers in terms of how he was moving before the throws and, and within the throws. Uh, definitely a guy who picked up a lot sitting behind Rodgers. I don't think he got a lot of help from Rodgers over that time, but uh, definitely picked up a lot on his own and in the meeting rooms and whatnot. So uh, if there is a game where we can expect the Packers' opponent to put up points, force the Packers to the air. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting offense to pay attention to. Uh, last one, one that I don't want to overreact to. I said heading into the year that DeAndre Hopkins is a really weird fit with Ryan Tannehill because he hmm. doesn't create separation. He catches everything that comes near him. What was there? There was that one season he had zero drops all year on like 130 targets or something. Uh, but he doesn't create separation. Ryan Tannehill is not a pinpoint thrower. So Tannehill plus A.J. Brown or what they thought Traylon Burks would be where you get this guy in space, Tannehill gets the ball to him, they make something happen after the catch. That's great. Man, Ryan Tannehill, I don't think there was a, a quarterback in week one who looked worse than him. Yeah. Play in and play out. But then at the same time, it's like, man, this guy isn't awful. So right. I don't want to overreact to that. I think there's still opportunity for that offense to produce some good games from wide receivers. Um, but yeah, my initial, my initial instinct there was to pat myself on the back and be like, Ooh, you were right about that one. And I'm like, I, there's no way I was that right about that one. So I think that we'll see some bounce back performances from that team. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. I think off the top of my head. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start with kind of like more of a kind of overview of the, the slate here. You know, we got the one game over, uh, a 50 point total with the chiefs and the Jags. I believe I just saw news that Travis Kelsey is going to be good to make his debut in week two. So that total should hold, you know, the next, uh, highest totals. We got the Raiders at the bills and then we have, um, what's our other 47 point, the lions and the Seahawks squaring off. What's kind of your, I know you do the angles uh, post there for one week season, any kind of macro thoughts about how this slate is shaping up? Yeah. So first off, I think it's worth noting that the bills total is lower, but their implied team total is the highest on the slate. Mm. I think that's something worth paying attention to. And it's worth paying attention to what we know about these teams, these players, their approaches. The bills are not a team that, takes a two touchdown lead and then takes the foot off the gas and slows things down. And furthermore, coming off of an embarrassing self-inflicted loss on national television, this is the type of spot and this is the type of team 
that would be happy to proactively put up points. The Bills would love to score 38 points in this one if they're able to against this Raiders defense. So Bills offense is one I'm, I'm very high on this week, as well as the Jags and Chiefs game. Worth pointing out that the Seahawks and Lions game opened, and I think it was 50 point over under and has been bet down to 47. So mm-hmm. sort of a different shaped 47 than maybe some other 47s. There are clear paths to the upside. These teams played to a 48 to 45 game last year, but also uh, I've been pointing out this week, you know, last year, the chargers, held the Dolphins to held Tua to 145 passing yards, uh, held the Dolphins to 17 points. You know, what happened last year isn't what's going to happen this year. These teams add new pieces, they develop, they learn from those, those previous games. So this, that game is very interesting. It's one that I have an eye on. I'm going to have pieces from it. And then uh, the other thing that really stands out to me this week, and I think this is critical is, and I mentioned Keenan Allen. So, This week is interesting to me in that Justin Jefferson's off the slate, Tyree kills off the slate. Since Christian McCaffrey joined the 49ers, he hasn't really been in a role that's getting him 40 points. You know, he's getting these 25 to 32 points consistently, but with the Panthers, he was their only weapon. So he could get 14 targets. He doesn't get 14 targets with the 49ers because they have Debo, they have Ayuk, they have Kittle. Uh, And then we have, you know, basically, uh, Jamar Chase isn't in a spot where he has a high percentage shot at going for 40 points. He's, you know, a guy who's capable of it. So there's a lot of guys who you've heard me talk about this. If, if you're on OWS, you hear me talk about this, that I typically don't want to play in tournaments because you look through their game logs and it just feels so comfortable to play them. I always use Keenan Allen as the example, double digit points, double digit points, double digit points, usually 17 points, 22 points. So you feel great playing him. But at his price tag, that salary that you're you're taking off of your ability to spend elsewhere, you're restricting your chances of winning first place. Because if you right. get 22 from Keenan Allen, that's great. But that's 7K, 7,500 you couldn't spend on somebody else that could go for 35, that could go for 40. This week is a very interesting week in that, you know, Devontae Adams playing Buffalo, the Buffalo pass defense, and, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Garrett Wilson now, Zach Wilson under center. There might not be any 35 to 40 pointers. There is a much lower chance this week than a lot of other weeks of us seeing any 35 to 40 pointers, which means these guys I typically avoid because they're just consistent and they almost never go for those 35 to 40 pointers, which is Stefan Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown. He had, he had two games last year that you would really like at his salary, but he's just great because he's always in that 22 plus point range or that 17 plus point range. Uh, Keenan Allen, like all these guys who I play less often than the field plays them are actually all very attractive to me this week because there is some value that I like. These guys are tied to good spots, high scoring game environments. Uh, And so, yeah, these are guys that I like this week where typically I kind of preach the value of being underweight these guys. And this week I'm going to be overweight these guys, uh, especially relative to what I typically am. Have you, I, I don't know if I even got to see what your main lineup was last week, but have you been um, leaning into some bigger game stacks or doing a little bit more kind of getting the one-off plays that that you like? And how does that shape up for you in week two, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's obviously different from week to week. And I, a lot of times I don't know until, until Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I, I mentioned this last week that my... I don't know the exact numbers, but I think I've done the, I think I've done the MME stuff eight weeks now. 
using Optimizer, doing MME. And I think that I've finished in the money in the Game Changer, which is a $1,500 single entry. I think I've finished in the money in the Game Changer five of those eight weeks, including a second place finish and you know, kind of right on the edge of it, getting first place this last week. And my MME play, as I said last week, is dramatically sharpened my single entry play. And the reason for that is because I'm creating this large funnel and then I'm allowing that large funnel to start narrowing down my thoughts for me. And what I'm actually doing is I'm going through all 150 rosters that I put in the slant and then I'm picking out the ones that stand out to me the most and I put them into the, the 20 max play action. And it's not because these are the rosters that can win the play action, but it's because it's a, a cheaper entry. It's a $3 entry. And I can set these rosters apart. So then I can say, okay, these are the rosters that actually stood out to me the most as I went roster by roster. Does that make sense what I'm, what I'm saying? Yeah. So after I go through all 150, I'm able to see, oh, which are the ones that stood out to me as I went roster by roster? And it's like, okay, it was these 15 rosters or these 18 rosters. And then I'm able to say, okay, where do I want to allocate these ones to the, the power sweep and the spies and the game changer and all that. Um, and so last week, as I was doing that, well, as I was building my pool, I ended up with a lot more Derek Carr than I was expecting, because again, we just know how much Tennessee forces teams to pass. And we know that Derek Carr likes to be aggressive. I ended up with 50% Chris Alave on my rosters and like 20% Derek Carr. So from that, I already know that I'm 50% Alave, he's going to be on my main build. 20% car, he's got a good shot to be on my main build. And then as I was going through and finding the rosters I liked, a lot of them were Derek Carr rosters. It was a lot of Derek Carr rosters, a couple Purdy rosters, I think one with Debo, one with Ayuk, and maybe like one other quarterback who made my tighter, uh, Deshaun Watson roster that made my tighter builds. Um, and obviously that one bombed. So yeah, and, and so that kind of determined for me, it was like, okay, it's this Carr Alave stack, but I didn't want to bring back a Tennessee piece on that because my thesis wasn't built around this game going off. My thesis was built around the Saints are going to have to pass the ball. They should have passed it a lot more. They had a lot of first down run calls, second down run calls where Jamal Williams picked up one yard or negative one yard. Uh, they really should have shifted even pass heavier than they did. But yeah, so last week it was like a skinny stack and then one-offs from there. And that was just sort of the way that the week came together for me, you know, and the one-offs, it was, it was, I was able to get Carr, Alave, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, Puka Nakua, all onto a roster together. Aaron Jones was on my main build. Uh, and so able to collect so much upside onto this one roster with one-off pieces and pretty high confidence upside. That was the way last week went. This week, it's going to be a lot more game-focused. And I'll talk about this in the Angles pod, which uh, is available on the One Week Season podcast feed if any of you want to listen to that. But the uh, this week, my tight player pool is larger than normal but my large field player pool is smaller than normal because it's like gotcha. there's there's at this point in the week on a Friday, I don't want to force myself to narrow down between Josh Allen and the Buffalo bills and this Jacksonville, Kansas city game and the broad range of outcomes, but also the potential in the Seattle Detroit game. And then I really like, you know, I like the chargers against the Titans because they are so good through the air and the Titans are going to force them to pass and I like the potential for that 49ers Rams game. And almost all of my pieces are from those teams. So that makes my, like, I haven't narrowed things down to like, okay, this is what I'm doing in small field play. And I'm going to kind of have to let my 150 rosters dictate that for me. But in large field play, I'm not branching too far outside of those teams. So I'll have everything for me this week is 
team and game focused. There's very little, there's very little, like, like I wasn't on the Dolphins Chargers game. I didn't have, I had like 3% Mike Williams. I had 2% Keenan Allen. Like I had almost nothing from that game, but I had 25% Tyreek Hill. So it was like, here's my one-off bet from this game. Yeah. Uh, Justin Jefferson's my, my heavy bet on the Vikings. So last week was very different from this week where this week it's less about isolated one-offs that are standing out to me. And it's like, these are the games where I think the touchdowns are going to be. And I, I want to take advantage of those. One thing you said that I think is a really good takeaway for people too, is I think that that part of your process that you were describing, I think there'd be a temptation to build your 150 max set and then be like, okay, this is my highest exposure. So let me, you know, put all those highest exposures on my, my one main team. But what you said is that you went through and we're actually looking at the rosters and the lineups and how those come together. And I think that's a really important key, right? Like all of this is about making lineups that tell a cohesive story and that those are the way you're getting there, not these individual things. And that you were kind of plucking out the lineups that you, whatever told the best stories for you after building all those. And I think that's just a, a key takeaway. And maybe sometimes the trap of like, Hey, I'm getting in all these plays I like, but do they actually fit in a way that makes sense and can vault you to the top of the leaderboard? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, obviously one of the things that stood out in the isolated instance of week one on that roster was that I had, you know, I don't know, 15 to 20% Aaron Jones and, and knew that I liked him as an upside piece. I had 25% Tyree Kill. I had 35% Justin Jefferson. I had 50% Chris Olave. So when they're all on a roster together and you look at it, and I mean, I literally like each roster, 150 rosters is a lot to go through, but each one, because I didn't want to just go through the motions and like, look at it, look at it. Like each one, I would pause, close my eyes, take <laughs> so a breath, <laughs> open my eyes, look at the roster, you know, like, okay, this roster, put in your focus on this one. Right. And, and every time I saw that roster, it like popped to me. Part of the reason was because yeah. like, yeah, it has all, all these pieces on it that I like, but also it was because it was like, Oh, well this tells the story that I want to tell for this week. And yeah. it has the upside across the board. And really the main reason I made the changes for the game changer was it was like the unique structure of Derek Carr, who was going to be low owned plus Alave plus Tyreek plus Jefferson plus Aaron Jones. Like I didn't, technically need from a strategy standpoint didn't need puka and the texans defense in the game changer where they were going to where i would be the only roster out of 300 with puka you know and so what i actually did was i switched to isaiah likely at tight end instead of david najoku i switched to marvin mims instead of puka uh and then spent up a little bit on defense basically saying let me just ride the chalk on these pieces so that i'm in good position if my you know if these guys hit right with the chalk right and i've got the other the differentiation from a strategy standpoint that wasn't not sharp but um but yeah the roster itself actually stood out to me more the other way like i liked the other roster more in terms of what i was doing with it and uh so yeah that's it's more about the rosters than about the individual pieces for sure um a couple things here before we start diving into some of the positional specifics. And then as always, as we do here on the block party, we will finish uh, by building uh, a team uh, on DraftKings here, but do want to mention, you know, the free week is over at one week season. Hopefully you guys got to uh, check that out, but we still got the 20% off with promo code Pete. The name of this show is in reference to JM's building blocks that he posts as part of the scroll, his main kind of core plays in the ways those interact with each other, which is one of my favorite ways of how you guys display it at one week season two, is it kind of builds on that idea of like not players, but concepts, blocks that fit together and then build these lineups. But anything else that people should know if they want to check out one week season here? 
Yeah, we have a, a price bump coming at the end of week two that is a permanent price bump. So uh, if you get in, we always let people lock in their entry price for life. So if you get in before the end of Monday, then whatever you're paying now, you get to renew at that. In the future, if you don't renew next year, you still get to keep that price whenever you do renew two years, three, three years from now, you come back and want to use it. Uh, so yeah, the uh, good time to get in, you can always ask for a refund 14 days later too. If you hop in and you're like, yeah, this isn't for me. And honestly, you know, I say it all the time, OWS isn't for everyone. We don't talk about picks. We obviously do a lot of work to highlight who the best players are on the slate, but we're very focused on what the strategy is on the slate and how we want to approach the slate from that standpoint and, and train our users in what, what a good DFS player looks like. And some people aren't looking for that. So if you're not looking for that, you know, go find the site that you are looking for. Uh, there's a lot of great content sites out there. We have great relationships with a lot of those people. Uh, but if we are a fit for you, then we're going to be a fit for you all the way. So uh, you'll appreciate that as well. Awesome. Yep. Uh, I got the link, uh, I think pinned in the chat also in the description, use promo code Pete. That'll get you 20% off. They have all kinds of uh, different subscriptions. If you just want to try it out for a week, for a month, you want to dive in, put a ring on it for life. You can lock that price in and the promo code Pete is good on all of those various subscriptions. Uh, Jan, before we start getting to maybe some specific lineup building here let's talk a little bit about the quarterback position for this week um we definitely have um a decent amount of value at the position depending on um how you want to approach it we have kind of the new you know young guys and anthony richardson although he's priced up a little bit now at 6300 you of course have mentioned your interest in this bills game josh allen um seems pretty fairly priced uh, or even yeah, cheaply absolutely. priced at 7900 but how are you kind of thinking about the quarterback landscape it sounds like you're gonna have a pretty tight quarterback pool this week you know i, I wouldn't say a tight quarterback pool actually i've already mapped out my player grid. So I'm trying to pull it up on my end just to make sure I'm not missing anybody, but it is kind of centered around these offenses that I like. So obviously Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy. And so already that's kind of a broader pool than I would typically have for, um, you know, my tighter player pool. And then on top of that, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Anthony Richardson and I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Daniel Jones, who after the way he looked last week is obviously a guy who's going to go largely overlooked, but he's still capable of putting up a 30 point game, you know, in that spot against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a broader player pool that I'm typically used to. And uh, yeah, actually I just found, found the, the pool too. So I can check and see if I'm missing anybody, but um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm looking at the quarterback position this week. And then heading over to running back, obviously we have Eckler who looks um, like he's maybe trending in the wrong direction, although um, we'll have to keep tabs on that. We have kind of the intriguing Bijan usage from week one. Barkley kind of falls in the Daniel Jones bucket of, do you want to buy low on this Giants offense? We had kind of the interesting Derrick Henry usage where the volume was still good there, and yet he was seeding a lot of the pass-catching snaps to the rookie Tajay Spears. Um, you got the kind of exciting guys, ETN, um, who flashed a big workload. You mentioned Jameer Gibbs. So a lot to kind of sift through here at the running back position, which feels different to me. I remember at the end of last year, it felt like there was like five viable running backs yeah, like each yeah. week. It was like so gross. And this year, at least right now, there's so many options. 
Yeah, the and my player pool is going to reflect that. So Justin Herbert was the quarterback that I was missing. So that's another quarterback. I think that puts us at nine, you know, out of 24 quarterbacks playing, which for me, for large field, yeah. But for, for my tighter pool of three max and, and single entry, like among those nine, I probably won't have Daniel Jones on, on my main build, but I could have him in a three max contest. So there's there's this element of, do I really know where I'm going yet at this point? No it's a broader pool than I typically have for, for smaller, you know, for, for tighter entries uh, running back. Yeah. You know, Christian McCaffrey again on this week where I don't see a lot of 35 to 40 pointers. And I think if the guys who get you 30 to 32 are going to have more value than normal, that they get you nearly 30 to 32 at, you know, maybe a higher price than you really want to pay for that. So that puts Christian McCaffrey very much in the bucket, Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs, both guys who could get you 30 at a cheaper price tag. Jameer Gibbs, a guy who could get you 30, had a cheaper price tag, but with a lot more risk. Obviously, he could get you six, seven points. And then I have this bucket of like, I don't even know how many running backs this is, uh, eight that that like all are kind of below those four guys for me. With again, the caveat that, that Jameer Gibbs has this broad range of outcomes and, and could really bury your roster. And none of these guys really separate from each other for me. David Montgomery, Kenneth Walker, AJ Dillon, Rashad White, Joshua Kelly, Damian Pierce, Zach Moss, not going to catch a lot of passes, but probably gets 16 to 20 touches this week. Uh, and then James Cook, who's kind of more in that Jameer Gibbs type range, except that, you know, it's more about, can he really get the touchdowns? He probably scores six to eight touchdowns on the year. So, you know, the touches are going to be there. The targets are going to be there, but what are his chances of getting two of those touchdowns in one game, but he's certainly on my list this week for tournaments. Yeah. Are your, what are your, are there any of the kind of committee backfields that you are willing to kind of make a stand on? I guess the, the Montgomery Gibbs is, is probably the best one to talk through. I think you could also mention the Javante Williams, Samaje P Ryan in there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other uh, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson continues to be kind of interesting to me at his price, anything there, or do you think we just have enough clarity with some of these situations that you don't even have to mess with those committees? Yes. And no, on that, on that second point, I, I'm definitely going to gravitate toward the spots where there's more certainty. And if I'm going to gravitate toward the spots where there's less certainty, like I've mentioned Jameer Gibbs so many times. Yeah. Well, why mention Jameer Gibbs where there's less certainty? It's because he can go for 30 when he had, it's and it's it's one thing and i know this from like depending on how busy i am at a certain point in the season or you know certain season it's one thing to be able to watch a player play it's one thing to watch jameer gibbs play it's another thing to watch all 16 games and have watched jameer gibbs in the context of all 16 games like when he has the ball in his hands it's visibly electric the upside is evident and so is there clarity there? No, but can he score 30 points? Yes. So with somebody like Brian Robinson, and I had some Brian Robinson last week, but with somebody like Brian Robinson, there's probably more clarity than we want to give it credit for. I, I think mm. that he is the guy at this point. And I think that he looked better in week one than he looked at any point last year, because again, he got shot in the leg last year and came back what like five weeks later and played a whole season. So the, the clarity is probably a little bit more there than we think, but what's the chance of him going for 30? It's still pretty low, especially in that matchup. Uh, Javante Williams, I would have to imagine just from a talent standpoint that he eventually 
has the bigger share of the workload in Denver, but what are the chances of him going for 30 in this spot against Washington, still a second game, probably not as high as some of these, these other guys. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how I look at those spots. I could throw Antonio Gibbs or uh, Brian Robinson, 5,100 versus Zach Moss at 4,700. Neither guy's going to catch a lot of passes. I could just as easily throw Brian Robinson in there. So uh, yeah, I can yeah. buy that one. Well, just to tease out the the Montgomery Gibbs thing once more, because I do think it is kind of an interesting decision point. FF Doom in the chat saying love Gibbs this week, but won't be surprised if he gets steamed. Because I was checking just an early ownership projection and seeing David Montgomery like three times um, more uh, projected ownership than Gibbs, which is kind of interesting because they're only $500 apart. Um, obviously, the Montgomery usage was was really good week one, even catching some passes as well and but I'm, I'm with you right like if i'm playing this game as a mega shootout which if i am you know i, I do think i want expo exposure to the gibbs explosiveness there as opposed to i feel like if i played montgomery it might be as more of a one-off like he ends up with the two touchdowns and this game is maybe a little bit more middling yeah yeah and, I, and i've got montgomery on the list just because he's a better jamal williams and we know that jamal williams role could have two to three touchdowns and so Montgomery could end up being the 25 point guy in this game, but I, I think that we see how identify how comfortable you feel with playing somebody. And that kind of gives you a sense of how comfortable the field is. So to me, Gibbs can get steamed up. We can talk about him. Other people can talk about him, but it probably won't dramatically raise his ownership because even when I go to push the Jameer Gibbs button, it's like, Ooh, I don't know if I can really pull the trigger on this. And so, especially yeah. as you get into three max and single entry, which is what a lot of people do focus on as you get into those, you're going to see, a, I think, lower ownership, even if he's getting talked up just because it's hard to, what do you have, you know, nine touches or whatever it was last week and Montgomery played 81% of the snaps. It's hard to really pull the trigger on it, but it is there. The upside's there. Yeah, let's um let's kind of transition to talking about wide receiver while we start to build out our lineup here on DraftKings. I should also mention we do have the weekly uh rake-free deposit kingdom league going. You guys have been animals. Uh last year I would normally need a little promo push on the show to get this filled, but the Discord peeps here in the Deposit Kingdom have already filled this one. It was 200 week one. You filled that. I said, hey, let's boost this up to 300. You guys filled that. So we will get this boosted again for next week. I, Yeah, 420. Is that what you want to jump to? Yeah. Right. Okay. And then... Yeah, and when we get it, if we can fill a 690 person uh, weekly league jam, we'll do the entire show shirtless. Is that what you you told me behind closed doors, Jam? I'm 100% on board. <laughs> um, so yes, I do post the link to this in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. Uh, on Tuesdays is normally when I get the link. So hop in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. I should also mention too, we do have, uh, I'm doing a couple premium shows this year. So I'm doing DFS After Dark. Um, that's kind of a series I did in the summer with best ball that is now rolling in to in season. It's half interview, half will build some lineups with my guests. Uh, I have Drew Dinkmeyer from ETR on Saturday night. That'll be very fun. That's a premium show if you are uh, a YouTube member. And then Sunday morning, I do my DFS GPP cram. 10.45 a.m., all the overnight news. Then we'll stay on the air through the inactives and break down all the final GPP plays. If you're a YouTube member, the Hand Builders and Opto Bros tier, you get access to all of those um, premium shows. Plus, 
the private discord where we cram for the DFS uh, showdown slates as well. So all kinds of stuff there, $7.99 a month, gets you eight extra shows a month and that discord channel. But JM, we got a blank slate here. I know you sent over a few ideas. I have a feeling where you want to go, but let me uh, throw it over to you. Where are we starting with our lineup today? All right. So I am, if there's one spot that I'm most leaning toward having on my main build this week, it's this Bills offense. And one of the things I like about the Bills offense is that if you get one bet right, it, it snowballs into the additional bets you're getting right. So if Stefan Diggs hits for 25 to 30 points, Josh Allen is almost certainly hitting for 25 to 30 points as well. And just getting those points at that much salary kind of all rolled together is great. But here's an even cooler one is that last year, Gabe Davis had four games of 16 plus DraftKings points, which had his salary. You're in a guy's highest, what, 35 points. He had a couple 30 plus point games. At his salary, you're happy with, with 16 points on a slate like this. And if he gets up to 20, if he gets up to 25, if he gets up to 30, you're in great shape. In all four of those games, Stefan Diggs also hit. And in all four of those games, of course, Josh Allen also hit. So not to say that 100% of the time that Gabe Davis hits, all three guys are hitting, but it is to illustrate, and we saw this two years ago with the, or three years ago with the Tennessee Titans, where if Derrick Henry hit or if A.J. Brown hit, it was almost always in those games where Henry was hitting, A.J. Brown was hitting, Ryan Tannehill was hitting. It was the Titans were scoring a ton of points. And in that type of game environment, all three guys were getting in on the action. So if I'm placing a Gabe Davis bet, I'm also basically saying, if I'm getting this one bet right, I'm probably getting two additional bets correct. So this is a building block that I really like this week in like small to midfield play. I wouldn't put this in the Millie Maker. Uh, I probably will have some of this in the slant just because it, I mean, it can go for 90 combined points. Um, and then, yeah, in, in tighter build, this is a great type of setup as well. So Gabe Davis, broad range of outcomes could get you seven or eight points and really hurt your roster. But he dealt with that ankle injury all year last year, had a down year. He talked publicly about how disappointed he was with last year, all the stuff he was doing to ensure that didn't happen again. Now coming off a game against the Jets, one of the toughest matchups for wide receivers. So it's not like we would expect him to start out hot in that game. And I just think people won't be looking at him. So this is a great setup for a building block of taking these three guys as the starting point and saying, all right, we've got this much salary locked up with these three guys and we can get 80 to 90 points as a starting point and then have a ton of floor that we're building off of from there. Uh, since you'll probably ask, I don't think we need a bring back on this. This is a game where the Bills could win at 38 to 35, they could win at 38 to 21, they can win at 38 to 10. The Bills mm -hmm. want to score points this week. And if they're able to against this Raiders defense, which a little bit better than before, but not super scary, not super talented, if they're able to score points here, they're going to try to score as many points as they can. So uh, tough matchup for, for Devontae Adams, toughish matchup for Josh Jacobs to really have a, a monster game. So I like doing this and then even having no bring back, which is really unique and kind of sets your roster apart. You were right. I was going to ask you about the bring back. That's a classic one. I always ask you about when we're looking at the blocks, but the first question I asked you was going to ask you wasn't actually about the bring back. It was if I, I think my natural thing, if you said, all right, Pete, let's attack this game. I'd be like, Josh Allen, sign me up, dig, sign me up. And then I think I might've had a teeny bit of sticker shock 
at Gabe Davis's price tag. Obviously, you don't have to sell me on the ceiling. Like I, I definitely get the Gabe Davis ceiling, but I would say, would we toss in Dalton Kincaid here? to correlate with the tight end position. His usage as a receiver was pretty encouraging and he's only 3,300. I think that's where I naturally would have gravitated. Yeah. So, and, and I played around a lot with the math on this at the front end of the week where all four of these games last year with these three guys hit Dawson Knox got about nine to 10 points, which isn't winning you a tournament, but at that salary, 3,100 for him, 3,300 for Kincaid, you feel pretty good about getting those points. You know, the thing is, Kelsey talking about guys who, yeah, they have ceiling, but really you're rostering them for like how high their floor is. And then obviously the, the positional advantage of Kelsey getting 20 points if everybody else gets, you know, all the other expensive guys get 12 or 15. But if Kelsey gets merely 20 and Kincaid gets 10, you're actually in great shape because you're spending so much less in salary getting half the points that Kelsey gets. So obviously Kelsey could go for 36 points and, and then you'll wish that you had him. But yeah, I think Kincaid is not, not necessary here. He could be on here instead of Gabe Davis. He mm. could be on here with Gabe Davis and Steph Diggs and Josh Allen. I will have a lot of, you know, my pass catchers this week, I got to leave some stuff behind the, the paywall, obviously, but my pass catchers this week are very much tied to these game environments. So mm -hmm. same as I was saying with, with, you know, my pool is broader, but it's like all centered around these teams. So I have, I'll have a lot of Kincaid this week and I'll even have a, a decent amount of Dawson Knox this week. Cause he's still on the field. He's still going to catch some passes. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't mind throwing Kincaid onto this roster. We definitely lower our overall ceiling a little bit, but that's always a bad thing if, as if the tournament size is getting smaller and smaller, you know, if we're playing, 500 entry tournament or thousand entry tournament. We can go all four of these guys and still feel pretty good about it. Let's um, let's keep the tight end thing in our back pocket. If we want to circle back to it and use that spot, I would say then my next question is, Hey, we've spent a lot of salary here. Do you have some interesting salary savers to make this lineup work? I know one of the exercises you do every week on one week season is the bottom up build where you try to build a lineup. What is it with salary of 40,000 or less? 44 K. Yeah. 44k. Yeah. So, and this is a great place in a roster. Like if I'm hand building, this is where I would say exactly that. Like, where do we save some salary to kind of get a sense of, of what this frees up for? So there's one guy who I think is underpriced. And I'll probably, probably be the only person who says this this week, but I think he's underpriced by about 1800 and he's a wide receiver. He's a rookie. He's going to be making his first start. Not him. Ooh, Do you know okay. who it is? <laughs> um, Zay Flowers? It is Tank Dell. Oh, okay. All right. And, uh, so we got Noah Brown, who's on IR now. Out. I was actually honestly surprised that Noah Brown started over Tank Dell. Yeah. And now Noah Brown's going to be hurt this week. And I don't think that he's going to get the starting job back. And there were, again, just – Paying attention, you know, I first started, I think you saw this on Twitter in the summer. I started first started paying attention to Tank Dell because the Texans coaches, every press conference with the Texans coaches, with Nick, Nick Casario, their GM, they all kept mentioning Tank. And I was like, Tank Bigsby? Like, he's on the Jags. Who's Tank? I had to look up, you know, Tank on the Texans. Yeah. And it was like, I think his first name is actually Xavier. It's like Xavier Dell, nicknamed Tank. And I started watching clips of him. It was like, and it wasn't like, oh, here's one video of him doing something good in training camp. It was like every day there would be three or four new videos from 
for beat writers of literally defensive backs falling down, joint practices, good defensive backs falling down, or Tank Dell getting five yards of separation at the top of a route 15 yards downfield where he would sell the post so well before breaking on the out that the guy would just get totally lost, get turned around. So Tank Dell starting this week, 3,200. Now the big question, obviously, I'm the Texans. Uh, how do I want to win games? I probably don't want to throw it 54 times like I did last week, but I also, you know, it's more about development than about wins at this point for the Texans. And I don't think they want to run it 40 times either. You know, they, they're not like, Hey, we want Stroud to throw it 22 times and hope that we get out of here with a win. So I think we see anywhere from 29 to 35 pass attempts for CJ Stroud here, which probably, probably means anywhere from could tank Dell only get five targets. Yes. But what did he have last week? I think he had four targets last week in kind of a, a bit role. He commands the ball. He gets open. So I could see him having as many as seven or eight targets. He's a guy who really should be priced at like 4,900 in my book. And he's one of these guys who, if I have extra salary to spend at the end, you know, 900 extra, we had a, a roster on the DFS lab table. We had 900 extra. It was like, well, I'm not going from Tank Dell up to some wide receiver at 4,100 because I'm probably downgrading the play by doing that. So he's kind of one of these guys who I think frees up quite a bit of salary for us um, in terms of where he really should be priced for, for what his potential is this week. Worst case, right? Worst case, he comes out with like three catches for 40 yards and gets you seven points. He's not putting up like a zero, you know, he's going to yeah. be out there. He's going to be open. He's going to command some targets. Um, but best case, you know, he, he could literally go six for 80 in a touchdown and that's 20 points right there. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if he has a game like that this week, he can get up to uh, a good seven or eight targets in this one. Yeah. It, it's funny too. Cause I had uh, what is, I remember one of the newsletters I wrote this off season for fantasy life. It was the two kind of unheralded rookie wide receiver prospects who were getting a ton of buzz and it was Puka and tank. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> even though I, and I wrote those two up in the same newsletter and then didn't even take my own advice and didn't draft enough of Puka. Um, what running backs um, do you think start to make sense with this build? We average uh, a little over $5,000 left with the rest of this. So we're actually in good shape now that we get that $3,200 wide receiver in. Yeah, so I have built some rosters with three expensive players this week. So it actually is possible to get a Christian McCaffrey on here. If we don't go Christian McCaffrey, I probably want to take a swing on Jameer Gibbs on this roster and say, mm. you know, because if it's Christian McCaffrey, then we end up down in that Zach Moss, Brian Robinson type range so that we're not really yep. kind of restricting our roster too much. So the other way to go here is, in fact, let's do this. Let's go with Jameer Gibbs on this one and say, let's take yep. a swing on now we have two high variance pieces with Gibbs and Gabe, Gabe Davis, but we also have some high certainty pieces at their price tags mm -hmm. with Tank Dell at his price tag and, and Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So I don't mind this balance. We have to be aware at this point in the build of what we're doing. We have to be aware that, okay, these are high variance pieces, but, but if they hit, they could win us the tournament. Uh, and then we also have to say, well, we don't want to take on too much unnecessary risk from here, which again, it sets up really nicely on a week like this to be going after the, the Jameer Gibbs, be going after the Gabe Davis, because I'm more drawn to the guys like Keenan Allen on a week like this, the guys who can get me those solid scores and still have a shot at, at 30 points. So Keenan Allen played more on the outside last week. I spent every week saying, don't play Keenan Allen in tournaments. He loses people far more money than he wins them in tournaments. But then this week it's like, man, they're going to have to pass a ton. And he's only 31 years old. Like he's still up in his prime as a receiver. He's coming close to the end, but he's still there. Um, I think he could have a really big game. This could be one of those like 15 target Keenan Allen games. So the availability of pieces like that kind of 
makes it easier for me to go to Gabe Davis, Jameer Gibbs on, on one of these rosters. Can now, we make can we can we make Keenan Allen work, or do you think I, we need I think to? So probably because uh, you know we still got. Let's throw in. Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends on defense, but tight end, right? We can go down as low as Musgrave, or we can loop in with our bet that we currently have with Dawson Knox or Kincaid. Uh, but they're all kind of in this free up salary range. And then as long as we're not paying for the Cowboys defense, I'd actually be curious your thoughts on defense this week because my my thoughts on defense is like. If I'm not paying for the Cowboys, I don't see a ton of upside anywhere. And even yeah. the Cowboys, the Jets defense is so good. Yeah. If, if if I'm the Jets, what am I doing? I'm not asking Zach Wilson to throw it 35 times. They're going to run yeah. the ball, try to keep this game close. So I could see there being very few opportunities on both sides of the ball for turnovers and sacks and all that. So I actually really like the Jets defense. But again, I don't think the Cowboys will have to throw the ball a ton. Um, Cardinals are a little bit interesting just because they were very competitive. And, and, but then yeah. Brian Dable manages that team so well that Daniel Jones doesn't take a lot of sacks. He doesn't turn the ball over a ton in this offense. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Have you had, and this is great, 5,800 puts us right in that David Montgomery. Well, we don't want Montgomery, but like that range right. of guys. Um, do you have any defenses that have stood out to you this week? So you meant there was three that stood out to me, um, obviously with you on uh, the Jets. I like that. The other two that are sub 3K, um, the Cardinals, you mentioned 2,600 at home against Daniel Jones, I think look good. And then the Falcons at home yeah, yeah. Uh, as well at 2,900 looked pretty decent to me. Yeah, they were one of four that I singled out in, in my player grid. And then I have like a stipulation of like, there's a lot of like, none of these defenses are separating for me. Yeah, I think the Falcons are are interesting. You know, I like so Kenneth Walker's the other guy in this yeah. price range. And I like the Walker Gibbs pairing because it's so unique. People don't like playing two running backs from the same game. And I actually I'm gonna single this out in the in the player grid this week of this two running backs from the same game idea and this being the spot because all we're really doing is betting on touchdowns being scored. And if touchdowns are scored, it's easy for both of these guys to score two of those touchdowns. We know that Kenneth Walker will be involved and he's another one of these guys. I don't play a lot of him in tournaments. He had two games last year that I think it was like two games of 30 points and no other games over 20. So people mm -hmm. play him because he has a big role. He never has single digit points, but when he was 6,200, 6,300, 6,400 to me, it was always like, man, I can get more upside somewhere else. But on this week, given what this week gives us that certainty of 14 to 16 points with the potential for 20 plus, makes him really attractive as well. And so this is an awesome build in that we have a lot of certainty mixed in with the, with, with, with upside mixed in with these home run swings that we have on, on Gibbs and Gabe Davis, uh, the sort of the, the higher variance type pieces. The other thing that I've been trying to think about more too is like, and I know this sounds like almost like hippy dippy, but like the decisions you're making by players you don't put in a lineup and like this lineup really tells a story of like, Hey, People are going to want to attack this Chiefs-Jags game. I think we both like that game. But in this specific lineup, we are betting on that game massively underperforming. We're not grabbing a one-off piece. We're not trying to hit the like Tyreek Hill of that game like we did last week. We're just saying that game disappoints for whatever reason, and these are the kind of lineups that bubble up to the top in, in lieu of that. Yeah, and, and real quickly, I know that you've got a, a somewhat tight out on this yeah. show today, but um, I, you know that game, one of the things that stands out to me about that game 
contrast, I contrasted it this week with the Chargers, but that both of those teams make their opponent work on every single play. Every play is a challenge for the opponent, whether you're on offense or defense. You take it like the Chargers, it's not a challenge to play. The Chargers have a lot of talent, but every play isn't a challenge when you play them. And the Jags and, and Chiefs are very much like that. So it's harder for a game like that to become a 70-point combined score. So it's going to be high scoring, but it, would, it could easily be a 27 to 24 game and Kelsey puts up 20 points, 22 points, and Calvin Ridley puts up 23 points, and you know Christian Kirk puts up 14, and Zay Jones puts up 12, and like and and Etienne puts up 17, and none of these guys are really hitting for points are going to be scored there, but enough points to justify the salaries, right? That's what we have to ask, and it's not guaranteed, and so I don't mind having I'll have a lot from that game, and I don't mind having some rosters with nothing from that game as well. Yeah, this was a very fun build. Uh, again, I, I remember I did this uh, caveat or you know this disclaimer last year. So um, there, everyone has lots of ideas for ways to tweak this lineup. They want you to go different direction. That that's the beauty of this. You know, Jam and I are doing this as an early thought exercise on a Friday. A lot is going to change. Just seeing how the pieces come together. And Jam uses this phrase a lot about practice builds. Like what we just did here was a practice build. You know, this is a lineup that could work for us if Locke was in five minutes, but you know lock isn't in five minutes it's in a little less than 48 hours so lots can change between now but this exercise of building these lineups see what happens when you build a lineup with another avenue maybe you go down from keenan allen somewhere else maybe you get up to christian mccaffrey see how that build fits here i think that is the point of this get those ideas going explore those dead ends and then you can come back and review these lineups and see which ones make the most sense for you and also that opportunity to work through what is because DFS is about rosters, not about players. So to work through that, what are the strategies behind roster building? Because if we can talk through that on the show and you guys can pick that up, your rosters get sharper and sharper, your results get better and better. And if you guys want, you you heard JM say, you know, he's uh, he's given away a lot of stuff on this show, but he's not giving away everything. If you want his full uh, player grid, all of his building blocks, it's a mandatory read for me on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings before I'm building to know who JM is on. You can get that all at one week season. The entire scroll is a must read. You get the player grids, you get the end around. I, I love getting Hilo's thoughts on just kind of the game theory spots on this slate. So make sure you guys check that out. And like JM said, just check it out for a week. If you want to expand, if you need a refund, they'll take care of you. But hop in there. If you like this show, you will like the content at one week season. I definitely believe that. Uh, JM mentioned, I do have, I'm running over to another show. We're going to be doing back-to-back -back shows on Friday, hopping on with the Badge Bros on a new channel. It's the Underdog Daily channel. The Badge Bros have been doing some stuff over there. And guess what? I've made it easy for you because the redirect here, the second this show ends, just refresh and boom, that show will magically appear in front of you. But JM and I will be back every Friday at 2 p.m. to run down the slate. Appreciate all of you guys hanging out. Like I said, I will be back on Saturday night for best ball, uh, or sorry, DFS after dark with Drew Jinkmeyer, and then the Sunday morning cram at 10.45 a.m. Jam, any final words here before I let you go? No, shout out to the Badge Bros. Go have fun. Yeah, all right, guys. Appreciate you. Good luck in week two. We'll see you atop the leaderboards. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto-match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. Sixty-six. I went all the way, all the way. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, cold spot, bullets in your head like KD. Bust it, bust it, bitch, go bust it. And I had ten pints with me in Russia.